if you're joining us online this morning, we're so glad that you uh, marked out some time this morning to uh, study together, to worship together, and uh, glad you joined us. We are going to be back in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, Hebrews, yeah, one person's excited. Hebrews 4 is where we're going to be. I would tell you it's going to be on the screen, but it's not going to be because, oh, 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 it is going to be on the screen. Hebrews 4. Jason, there's a timer down here that I don't think should be going. I think the lights are going to turn off in 25 seconds. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says this. Let me read it to you. You can follow along. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And it went away. Um, here, let me just read it to you right out of, I have this paper book. It's called a Bible. Um, it has all the words in there. Here, let me read it to you. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To, to understand what's going on in this passage, um, I have to tell you about a phone call. Um, but to tell you about the phone call, I've got to give you some context because if I just tell you the phone call, you're not going to believe me, okay? So uh, the phone call, it happened probably... Uh, a month, um, well now it's probably been a month and a half. Um, it was early August. And I have this feature on my phone, I don't know if you use it or if you've ever tried calling me. Um, I have this feature on my phone that just sends everything to voicemail. And so um, I had this voicemail pop up on my phone and it comes up and it said, hey. Well he didn't say hey, he said, hello. My name is Devin, I'm from the State Department. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. I mean, there's probably two people you shouldn't ignore. The IRS and the State Department are probably two people you shouldn't send a voicemail, right? And he said, um, I, I'd like to talk to you. If you could please call me, I'd like to talk to you. And that is a phone call that you immediately call back no matter what time of day it is, right? And for you to understand the conversation we were about to have, you have to understand a little bit about the history of this church. So my predecessor was a man named Stan Peterson. And many of you knew him in some context. Even if you didn't, maybe you knew um, of him because just this last May, um, I think it was May, his funeral was in June. Um, just this last May or June, he passed away. And he'd been here for 25 years. And um, Stan, if you were in this community long enough before he moved away and then he came back, everybody knew Stan, right? Stan grew up in this community. But beyond that, Stan was the pastor of this church for a long time. Stan was the police chaplain. He was the fire chaplain for like 20 years. He was a volunteer uh, fire uh, volunteer. He was a volunteer firefighter. That's what we call them. Um, he was a volunteer firefighter. He worked with the school board. He worked with the city council. He um, coached at the high school uh, in the football program. In fact, this year, um, the helmets on the football players all have a little SP on the back of them in honor of Stan Peterson. And more than the time he coached at the high school, he made chicken for the high school. And if you ever had Stan's chicken, you know why they invited him back over and over again. It was phenomenal. He had this huge pit, and he'd, and he'd make this chicken in this ground, and he'd cook it for like hours and hours with some secret seasoning that um, he took to his grave with him. And so we will just all lament that, right? 
And it was phenomenal. And um, Stan was also, a lot of people don't know this because it's been a while, but Stan was right out of high school. He was actually in the Army. And so he was a veteran. And as happens a lot of times when you have people who are um, veterans, a lot of times they end up in government work and politics and all that kind of stuff. And so over those years, Stan got to know some people that were involved in different political things and um, even, you know, some Oregon politicians that he befriended and became friends with. And um, uh, Stan was not just here or in those kind of connections, but Stan did things all around the world, right? Um, there was a time, I think it was um, uh, 2007, um, one of the largest missions organizations in the world, a group called CMF, um, he had some connections with them, and they contacted him and said, we would like to fly you out to the slums of Nairobi, right? Which is um, a, a very hard place to go, because from what I've been told, the poverty you experience there is just unexplainable. Stan would always say, the scent of the slums of Nairobi was something that you just could not explain, right? And they asked him to go out there because they'd come in contact with this uh, one woman and she had started this school. She'd gone and got some uh, her degree and she was working on a doctorate and she'd started the school for kids that were in the slums of Nairobi. And they had like 30 some kids in there and, and CMF said, we're really thinking about putting a lot of weight behind this woman because we think that she really is doing some really great things. We'd like you to go out there and, and, and vet her and get to know the things and see like, is this a good, is this going to work, right? And, um, and when he came back, he said, I, I think we should do this. And now, that thing after like 15, 16 years, now they um, have like 24,000 kids that they're educating in the slums of Nairobi, and many of them are in boarding schools, right? So Stan had connections everywhere. And that led to, um, I think I asked someone in first service, nobody could quite remember. It was pre-9-11. I think it was like 2000. It might have been 99. Um, Stan was invited by some of his contacts. They pulled some favors, and Stan was invited to come to the House of Representatives for the United States and to open their session in prayer, right? They always open the sessions in prayer, and he got invited. And so they flew him out there for like five days. He got all like the VIP tours, like we all go to the Smithsonian. He got to go like behind the rope kind of Smithsonian tours. They took him around the White House. They did all these kind of things. And actually still in the other building over there, we still have um, in this wooden case the flag that he was given that they flew over the House of Representatives the day that he um, opened the House of Representatives in prayer, right? And so um, I got this phone call from Devin, my buddy at the State Department. We're like this. And um, he said, hey, I don't know if you know this, um, but your predecessor, a guy named Stan Peterson, I said, I'm familiar, said um, he came out and he opened the house for prayer one year. And um, I said, yeah, I've heard the story. And he said, well, we also um, were notified that he passed away. I said, how did you guys find out he passed away? He said, we're the U.S. government. We know a lot of things. <laughs> and so, so he said, we have this tradition where we like to invite people when someone's passed away who served their community, served our country, someone who's come and, and, uh, and, open, and, and, and sat in such an important, significant place of opening the house with prayer, um, to invite someone to come to honor their life and legacy, right? And so we are asking you if you would come out 
to open the House of Representatives when they open just after Labor Day, Tuesday after Labor Day, if you would fly out, and we're, we're going to fly you out a couple days before because you, you got to do a lot of security stuff, right? And um, you'll open the House of Representatives, and you'll get a chance for all of like 12 seconds to meet the president. You, you will be in the Rose Garden, and there's, he said, don't worry. It's, it, there's like 200 people there. We're honoring a bunch of people. We do this in big batches, right? Everyone who passed away in the last quarter, we bring all these things in, and we do them all in one swoop, and the president will walk in. He'll take a picture, and he'll walk out, and you'll stand there and hold a little thing uh, in honor of Stan. And I, and I said, um, when you, like, tell me when, and I will be there, right? And he said, well, we're going to have to fly you out a couple days before Labor Day, and uh, so maybe, like, the Thursday before we'll fly you out. And, uh, and I said, oh, like, this Labor Day? And he goes, yeah, yeah, this, this Labor Day. And I go, I, um, I've got a tea time at Dallas Golf Course. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it. Now, here's the truth. I didn't get a phone call. But in the moment that I hesitated and your gut went, what? You're going to say no to an invite to D.C., to the House of Representatives, to see them? You're going to say no? How insane would it have been if I got a call I was like, have you ever been to Dallas Golf Club? <laughs> oh, I got a brunch. Right? The writer of Hebrews, he's offering us an invitation millions of times better than the offer to go to the House of Representatives or to meet the president. And the thing that was peculiar to me as I read this passage, I thought, why does he have to plead with them? Well, why does he have to go, please, therefore, come on, come on. He has to build out an argument and say, because of this, because of this, come on, come with boldness. Come to the house of the creator of God who spoke all things into existence. Why? Why did he have to plead with them? You know, he's, he's building off of a story, began in, in Hebrews 4, a story of the Jewish people, and they're led out of Israel, and uh, sorry, not out. Of, they're led out of Egypt, and they're they're led through the Red Sea, and God does miraculous things, and they're out of the wilderness, and God brings them to the edge of the Jordan, and He brings them to the Promised Land, and and He and He says, uh, I, I, "I'm I'm going to deliver you into this land, right? I'm going to give you this land, and and I'm going to be honest, right? A lot of times we like to throw straight on. I can kind of understand why they stood on the other side of the Jordan and said, "Nope." I can kind of understand because, because you know, there's this, um, there's a story. It says that Moses sends in 12 spies. Have you heard the story? Moses sends in 12 spies. Ten of them, two of them come back and go, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so good. Like God is so good. He's going to do it. Right. And the other 10, they come back and they go, whoa. I mean, they're dudes. They're like this. Big. Have you seen? And the grapes are this big and there's no way. And we look at them and we read the story and we go, are you kidding? How in the world? God is inviting you. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, God invited them into rest. But they refused and they died in the wilderness. And we look and go, how? Um, but I understand because um, I've coached football for uh, quite a few years now. 
when I first started coaching football, I, I coached eighth grade football uh, right here at Talmadge. And um, th this happens almost every single time with eighth grade football players, right? We're standing out there before the game. We're doing warm-ups. If you ever played football, you know how warm-ups go. You do your warm-ups, and then you do some offensive drills and defensive drills. And when you're doing the offensive drills, you tell everyone to line up on the 30 and make a wall, right? I don't know why we still do this, right? So the coaches can't, like, look around and see what plays you're running, right? And we stand on the wall. We want them to focus and pay attention to what's going on. Well, they're not folks and paying attention. You know what they're doing? They're eighth grade boys. But first of all, they have an attention span of a gnat. Second of all, they're curious about the team they're about to play. So what are they doing? They're constantly doing this. They're going. Right? And then one of them says to one of the other ones, he says, dude, did you see number 76? He's huge. And the other guy, yeah, yeah, I know 76. My cousin's related to him. His aunt's brother's second cousin is number 76, and I know him. He failed third grade three times. He's actually 17 years old. <laughs> and the other one goes, oh, he's 17 years old. He turns the guy next to him, and he goes, did you hear about number 76? He's 17 years old. And the guy goes, oh, he's not 17 years old. He's 18 years old, and he's an active Marine. He's getting deployed to Iraq next week. <laughs> right? So I can understand. Because you know what? Fear makes us do funny things. Fear makes us do weird. Um, one of my favorite preachers of all time is a guy named Chuck Swindoll. And uh, he tells this story about it was early 90s or late 80s. And for whatever reason, he was driving a station wagon from Southern California to Texas, where his family lived. He was in SoCal for some reason, and, and um, he's driving. And it, it's, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Um, Driving, it's probably a really beater station wagon, right? And if you know anything about driving from LA to Texas, it's hot. And once you leave hot, it's really hot. And then once you leave that section hot, it's extremely hot. And then it's just more hot, right? And he said it was like June or July. And so he did. Maybe you've done this before, right? He decided instead of driving there in the middle of the day, risking, you know, my car breaking down and dying from heat exhaustion in the middle of the desert, I'm going to leave at night. I'm going to drive through the night, right? And so he has this conversation with his wife. Says, you know, I'm just going to leave afterwards. I'm going to drive through the night when it's cool. There won't be any traffic. And, uh, uh, you know, as he tells the story, she was a little nervous, you know, about him driving all through the night after having just taught all week at a seminary. And, and so he says, you know, it's okay. I'll go by the store, I'll, I'll get a sleeping bag, I'll get some of those, those, those camping mattresses. And my, my dad and I did this. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's, you lay down the back seat of a station wagon, and it's just about the right size for a twin-size mattress, right? And my dad and I did this driving to Arkansas, and one of us would drive and one would sleep in the back, which is, shh, don't tell anyone, probably very illegal. And, but, but Chuck Swindoll tells his wife, he says, you know, if I get tired... I'll just find a truck stop, I'll pull over, I'll sleep for an hour or two in the back of the station wagon, and then I'll keep driving. And uh, so he drives through the night, he makes it all through the night, even though he just thinks the night's going to go on forever. And he gets, he gets to the point in the day where um, it goes, like the, if you've driven through the night, the worst part of driving through the night is right before the horizon starts to light up, right? When it's still dark, and it's right before, because when the horizon starts to light up, you're like, ha ha, I can do this. Right? As the sun started, it gives you this like new energy. And so the sun just started to come over the horizon and he sees a truck stop and he's like, oh, I can do this. So he pulls off in the truck stop. He goes, you know, to get some food and some coffee and he's standing there filling up his little coffee thing and a guy walks up next to him and just stands like looking at him sideways, like standing sideways at him. Right? 
And the guy says to him, he goes, where are you going? And Chuck Swindoll's a little creeped out by this guy, so he just says, oh, I'm going east. And he goes, you going with anybody? Nope, going east alone. The guy goes, you look tired. I'll go with you. Chuck Swindoll says, no, no, I'm, I'm going east alone. And he's like, no, it's no problem. It won't be a big deal. It's not an inconvenience. I'm going east too. I'll ride with you. And Chuck Swindoll says, he's a, he says, it, it just like sleep exhaustion, panic, terror from this guy. He turns to him in the middle of the truck stop and he yells, I'm going east alone. And the guy looks at him holding a coffee cup and he just goes, okay, and turns and walks away, right? So Chuck Swindoll gets in his car. He keeps driving east towards Texas. And as the sun is kind of flickering in his eyes out on the horizon, he, he looks in his rearview mirror and he notices something. He notices that the sleeping bag that he so neatly had laid in the back of his, his station wagon is not the way he left it. And so his heartbeat begins to kind of raise, and adrenaline begins to kind of pump through his veins. And he begins to tell all, you know, there are ghosts, there are, there are monsters that bump in the night. He begins to tell all these stories to himself, right? And so he's driving down the road, and he, he remembers that he has a lug nut wrench under his, his seat. So he calmly and slowly, without moving as much as he can, he grabs the lug nut wrench from underneath the seat, and he lays it on his lap. And he's looking for the next stop he can come to. And he says, he, he, he didn't want to be suspicious, so he talked to himself the whole time. He's like, oh, man, shouldn't have drank so much coffee. Wouldn't have to stop so quickly. Bummer, I only made it 17 miles to this well-lit truck stop. <laughs> and he gets out of the car, and he walks around to the passenger side to the back door where this ruffle of sheets is laid, and in one motion, he whips open the door, and he begins to beat on the mattress with the lug right. Get out of my car! Get out of my car! <laughs> and he whips the sheet back, and there's no one there. <laughs> he says, how insane he must have looked <laughs> at a busy gas station beating the back of his car. <laughs> Maybe, maybe today, maybe there's fear in your life about a relationship, about a career decision you have to make, about a, a, a degree decision, about something with school, about a relationship, about the economy, about the housing market, and fear. When we look out over the promised land that God said, I'm going to give you this, and all we see is monsters, fear. Fear can make us do funny things. You, you remember the movie um, uh, Home Alone? Remember the movie Home Alone? Let's, let's see if, um, if my little thing's going to work. Do you remember who the hero of Home Alone is? Nope. It's not going to work. The old man! You remember the old man? I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. If, oh, here you go. Oh, there it goes. It was good for a moment. Um, here's the hero of uh, Home Alone. It's a scary old man with the eyes and 
the black boots, and you remember all the like metal straps he had on the black boots, and he walks around, and he believes the story from his cousin, you remember? That he buries bodies in his backyard? And I thought, you know what? The movie is really short if he doesn't believe the lies about the old man. The one who becomes his rescuer is one he believes lies about. The only reason the movie works is because Macaulay Culkin is too afraid of the one who could rescue him to simply walk across this, the, the property line to his neighbor who could rescue him. Fear makes us do funny things. There's this theological fallacy that um, I've, I've probably said, you, you've probably said, and maybe in the right context we mean the right thing, um, but it's actually not true. We'll say this, we'll say this. There is nothing that God cannot do. Right? You ever said that? There's nothing God cannot do, and it's actually not true. God, God can't engage in evil. God can't sin. God can't lie. God cannot act contrary to his character. God cannot not love. First John says that God is love. There's things that God can't do. Here, here's another one. Someone pointed this out to me a couple months ago, and I was just like, <clears throat> God can't be surprised. You ever think about that? Because he knows everything. From the foundations of the world, he's known everything. He can't be surprised. And some of us are so terrified that if we were to come home, that if we were to come into the throne room of God, if we were to come before God, he would look at us and go, seriously? If he knew the things we'd done, if he knew the things we were doing, the things we pondered, the things we planned, he would be aghast and offended so we stand outside the land. We stand outside the house of God. We stand outside of his throne room afraid because of lies we believed about the one who can rescue and redeem us. The one who said, are you weary, heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. And I just wonder... I just wonder how many of us, how often, why the writer of Hebrews felt like he had to plead with us. Come, come to the throne room of God. Come to the Father. You know what he says at the very end, verse 16? He, he says, he says if, if, if you're in a time of need, come. This morning, you're in a time of need, have questions, have wrestlings, have unanswered prayers, Come. Says you need mercy? You need grace? There's brokenness and darkness in you, in your family, in the world around you, and you need mercy and grace? Come. Come. And here, um, it, the word, it says that we should come with confidence. In the Greek, the word there, it's the same root word that we end up getting the word dynamite. Come with power. Don't come tepid with soft little feet. Oh, sorry, I just, I didn't want to inconvenience you. Come with boldness. You know why? He's building us an argument because he says, Jesus, 
Our high priest has, the phrase he says, he's passed through the heavens. Here's what he's trying to say. He said, Jesus has conquered everything. Jesus is our advocate. He's our brother. He's the one who fights for us. And he's conquered everything. He's conquered the, the enemy in the wilderness. He's conquered the brokenness in this world. It says, Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So this morning, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're afraid, if you're in need of mercy, of grace, of hope, come. Come with boldness. Come with confidence, refuting the lies of this world. Come to a father who dearly loves you.